This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. Great to have you with us on the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Having a special chat today with a child and teen psychologist about the effects of parental conflict, separation and divorce on our children. What do you need to know and when should you bring in the experts? Spotlight is on for Jera for a brand new film. We were speaking to the producer and the screenwriter. The cat vet, Dr. Raimundo, in the studio to answer all of your feline questions from would you be mad to take on two cats and what can you do when your cat is in heat? Plus, getting some top tips for travelling with the kids. As a marriage dissolves, Some parents find themselves asking questions like, should we stay together for the kids? Other parents find divorce is the only option. And while all parents will have worries on their mind from the future of their living situation, the uncertainty of custody, they also will be worrying about how children will deal with that separation. So what are the psychological effects of divorce on children? Before we even get to that, what about the impact of a relationship falling apart? Welcome back to Pratna Singh from Vivamus. She is a child and teen psychologist. And I wondered if we could start, Pratna, by me asking you if this is something that you see families coming to you with in clinic. Thank you so much for having me back here. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, So the answer to that is absolutely yes. We do see it quite a lot at the clinic. Um, We've got families that come to us at different points in this. So we've got some families who are contemplating going through a separation or a divorce, and they come as a preventative measure of what they can do to support their child. And then, of course, we've got those who have already gone through that separation and their child might be experiencing some difficulties, some adjustment difficulties to that. Mm. And then they come in to get some support for that. For those that are kind of preempting um, any challenges or behavioural issues, do the children go with them or would, would do parents come to you and say, you know, our kids are this age and this age and we are going through a separation and we want to know how to support? Are, are the children kind of separated from that? Um, so it's different for different families. We've had some families who come with the child um, and they present that as the issue and then we're able to talk through and work with the young person. But we also work with family, with parents so, as well as a preventative measure. Mm-hmm. The parents come in and then they have a discussion about what to do. We speak to them specifically about their parenting styles and about what they can do to really um, prevent a lot of the, the difficulties that can ensue. We are going to talk about some of those difficulties. Before we start talking about separation and divorce, there's often a a whole host of other things that happen before you get to that point, and that is conflict in, in the home. And I wondered what impact you've seen ha- that having on children. Yeah. So conflict, I think, Helen, is, is inevitable, right? All human relationships, there is a degree of conflict that we'll experience. So what tends to happen when in any human relationship, we might have a rupture in that relationship, but we also tend to have a repair in that relationship. That would be probably a healthier type of relationship to have. And it presumably is important that the children see the repair. Exactly. Okay. That's what we want to encourage. And we're not trying to say that you ha- your, your whole household needs to be completely free of conflict altogether, but it's important so you're actually modelling for your children how to actually deal with that conflict and how to actually move through that rupture and get to that repair. Can you give us a kind of an example of what that might look like? Okay, so if a parent is just having an a normal everyday argument and maybe they... I'm just trying to think of an example that we've had in our household (laughs) recently. Uh, 
I can't even think of one. Could you could you share something that might have come up? It could be anything. It could be just an argument about, let's say, picking the kids up from school, right? Okay. Maybe there was a misunderstanding about that. So parents like, you should have done this. And the other one was like, well, you should you should have done this. And there was a, there's a little bit of an argument around that. Children might be at first like, oh, mom and dad are arguing again. It's not so great. But actually parents actually modeling that in front of them. We can resolve this. Let's talk it through. Actually, you know what? Maybe I had a misunderstanding about your schedule today. Maybe we can just work this out. So then your child is able to see they're working together through this. And Mm -hmm. it's not the end of the world if my parents are arguing. Because children sometimes get a bit worried when they see their parents arguing. And they might start thinking, oh, what's, what's happening here between mom and dad? So this is when we're seeing the repair or seeing... As you're saying, that kind of understanding being being uh, being resolved. Um, when that repair isn't seen, um, or perhaps the sheer volume of fallout just becomes overwhelming for parents and children. What are some of the questions that might arise in the children's mind at that point? Mm, yeah, and this is what we particularly want to understand as being a risk factor for children, isn't it? It, it puts them at risk for the development of some emotional difficulties. So it, it's really important for children to see that repair happening. But if if the arguments and the difficulties are continuous, consistent and chronic, mm-hmm. then children, that becomes the atmosphere in which they live. And children, first of all, will start doubting their relationship with their parents. There might be a little bit of a loyalty conflict. Hmm, maybe I should side with mummy a bit more. Or maybe, you know, daddy's the one that's right now. And that in turn can impact upon their self-concept. I always say to parents when they come to me, your child is basically half your husband or your wife and half of you. So sometimes we can create conflict in children when we're bad mouthing or there's a lot of conflict with that other partner. So it can affect the child's self-concept as well. I think it's safe to say that divorce is hard on everyone, whether you are 32 years old or two-year-old, whether you are one half of a once happily married couple or the product of a happy union, divorce isn't something you typically expect or plan for. And yet millions of couples split every year. And if you do have kids, their well-being is probably one of your primary concerns. So we're unpacking this this afternoon with child psychologist Prathna Singh asking, is there a particular age where divorce is the most quote-unquote traumatic should you try to make it work for the kids until they're old enough to understand Prathna can we talk about how divorce and separation affects children of different ages thank you Helen what have you seen in clinic right so um, I would say that it affects children of different ages in different ways and that's because children are going through different developmental phases and they're going through different tasks that they're managing during those phases so for example when um, a couple is choosing to separate or divorce and you've got a very young child so let's say uh, about five years old or a bit younger than five um, we tend to see of course that child's not going to fully understand what's going on they're not they don't have the cognitive ability to truly understand what's happening so of course you can't really do much explaining or or anything, but they're seeing the, the changes. They're picking up on the, you know, the body, um, the the body language, the cues, all of that. And so, it's really important as parents to keep the structure and stability going, and to keep the routine going for those younger kids. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we might see children becoming particularly clingy during that time. They might be um, quite tearful, crying all the time, and seeking out the close proximity of their caregivers because they need that comfort and that care during that time. As we start going a bit older, sort of the primary school age, we might start seeing again that separation anxiety and we also might start seeing some regressive behaviour. So children going back to those earlier stages because they're seeking out the comfort from their parents again. And again, it's like, am I still loved? Am I still cared for? Who's going to look after my needs? Those are the concerns that they have. And then as we start going up to the teenage years, we know that teenagers can sometimes be quite... um, 
turbulent, right? So it's a tough so, time. <laughs> it's a very tough time. They're dealing with a lot of this, their own stuff in school and with their friends. And so there can be quite a bit of anger, quite a bit of bitterness and resentment as well that's targeted towards their parents. And sometimes as children grow older as well, they might be asking more and more questions. And it's really important for parents to be aware of what information to be actually sharing with their children. I wanted to come back to a question that's, that comes up time and time again. You know, should you stay together for the kids? And I know you're going to give me the psychologist answer of it depends. But we were just talking off air about um, Glennon Doyle's book Untamed. And when her husband was unfaithful, she talks about in that book, kind of contemplating staying with him. And and her takeaway was, what example am I setting to my children? You know, I would want them to be in a happy relationship. And yet I'm not actually living that myself. So she did choose to walk away. And there's never going to be a one-size-fits-all answer for this. But I'm curious psychologically, you know, what do you think the outcome of that would be? Two people who really don't want to be together, but they really are with the best of intentions, keeping up that pretense of a happy marriage for the, for the children. I'm definitely going to give you this usual psychologist answer. It depends. depends. (laughs) Um, But there are definitely pros and cons to both, right? So if you're in a a relationship and um, you're ready to work through your issues together with your partner, you're in that space, yeah, there are difficulties, but you're actually committed to working through, genuinely committed to working through, you can actually be a really good role model for your kids. You can show them actually that we're moving through that rupture and we're actually actively moving towards that repair. So if you're committed to it, it does take a lot of grit. It takes a lot of determination to go through that. But that can also be quite, you know, kids are resilient and they'll, they'll see that you're making the effort. So that can have good, a good outcome for the family. Mm-hmm. However, we also know that if you're miserable in your marriage, if there's a lot of conflict and if it's ongoing, even if you try to hide it and even if you say, I'm just staying in it for the kids and I'll just put my needs aside. Children, as we said before, are very perceptive and they're able to pick up on the fact that you are unhappy. And so again, we need to ask ourselves, what are you modeling for your child? Message here from Richard saying, Hi both. Personally, I always believe children deserve two happy parents. Sometimes that means those parents will be married to each other and sometimes they're happier apart. Um, No name on this one saying, The problem is that once a relationship has gone badly wrong for whatever reason and children are involved, there's no entirely happy outcome. It's more of a question of working out what's the least bad outcome for the children. Divorce is hideous. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone who isn't pretty desperate. Um, And thank you for this message, Jamila. Um, Jamila sent in a quote that says, Divorce isn't such a tragedy. A tragedy is staying in an unhappy marriage, teaching your children the wrong things about love. Nobody ever died of divorce. Jamila says, this was a quote my best friend told me when I was weighing up staying in a miserable marriage. And for me, it was exactly right. Um, We've had a number of questions and concerns. Um, We've also had a number of people asking about moving on, you know, when to talk about having a new partner, when to, you know, introduce them as well. Um, Before we get to that, and we will do after half past, I wanted to ask you about a study that was published back in 2019. And it suggested that kids from divorced families tended to have trouble with school if the divorce was unexpected, whereas children um, from families where divorce was likely didn't have the same outcome. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that, Pratna. I think that speaks a lot to the idea of children thriving on structure and and, and, and thriving on knowing what to expect and preparing them for things. So I think when that preparation is put in and children are prepared and there's a discussion that's had and parents are reassuring of their children, I'm sure that can take quite a load off kids, right? Because they have to go to school, they have to think about all those questions we were asking before. Who's going to take care of my basic needs? Who's going to look after me? What's going to happen in the future? They're carrying so much in terms of their emotional uh, 
load. Mm -hmm. So it it makes perfect sense that that would be the findings of that study. Do you think it's possible to have a good divorce for the kids? um, And I guess what I'm really asking is one where, and they're not going to be completely unaware of issues or or outcomes because, as you say, very perceptive, but where the parents are able to put their own issues and egos aside Yes, absolutely. Yes, I, I think that is possible. Have and you seen it in I real have, life? I Prathna? have absolutely seen it. And I know that it's sometimes you might think it's really hard to come by, but I've seen parents do it absolutely. I said to you before, beautifully. They do it brilliantly. They're able to just put the, the priorities of the prioritize the child, put the child's needs uh, front and center. And they're also then able to take care of their own needs as well. It takes maturity, though. Now, I don't want to get the Dubai rumor mill going because I'm certainly not planning to separate from Mr. Farmer anytime soon. But I would imagine I would probably wouldn't be very mature in this situation. I like to think that I would be, you know, very grown up about it. I probably wouldn't. I'd probably be really angry, really resentful, probably say things that I shouldn't do to the kids or in front of the kids. So these people that are able to have that you know, that very Gwyneth conscious uncoupling and, you know, being very kid centric. Is that from the outset or is that something that they work towards? I think it takes time and I think it's something they definitely work towards. And it's when we understand divorce, we can understand in the context of that grief cycle. Mm. There's there's the grief in the beginning. There's that sadness. There's moving through the bargaining and, and trying to, you know, try to make sense of what's going on, going through almost a depression or a sadness, and then eventually coming to that point of saying, OK, I'm going to accept this. And it's I always say to parents, it's like in the beginning, it's like a tidal wave. It's like this tidal wave has hit you. And or a tsunami has hit you, and then slowly, slowly, it's like it's still there's still waves, strong waves and, and currents that are there, but it's not as as not as big as the, the the first part of it all. We are talking divorce on the show today, and just read this quote that was. Uh, pointed in my direction by our esteemed guest today. This is by Jeff Brown. He says, I grew up in a broken home, but not because my parents divorced. It was broken long before when the love turned to hate. When they finally divorced, there was actually more room to breathe. All the energy that went into managing the breaks could be channeled into healing. It's time we reframed that shaming term broken home. It's riddled with the assumption and judgment and neglects the fact that many single parents held their families together beautifully and that many seemingly intact families are deeply broken because a home is not broken when parents separate or divorce. A home is broken when there is an absence of love. If there's love, nothing's broken. Oh my goodness, Prathna, you're going to make me cry on the radio. That's beautiful. What do you think that speaks to and why do you think that can be helpful to anyone going through this? Yeah, I think it speaks to what we've been talking about just in terms of if the love is there and if if the connection is there, if the attunement to your child and if the prioritization of your child's needs are there, Mm. then then that is going to be, you don't have to be perfect parents. You don't have to have it together all the time. But just being present with your children and being happy in yourselves is going to be the recipe for success here. Now, speaking of making me cry, I had a beautiful message from one of our listeners, Mark, who says, I left the UK in 2013 following a horrendous divorce, kept in touch with my children every single day. Alfie was eight when I left and got this message last week out of the blue. Um, Only when I get these messages do I understand that everything is okay. Yes, it broke me and I was a snotty mess. And the the message... I'm going to read it, Mark. I'm sorry, because it's, it's incredible. Saying, morning, Father, how are you? Just got in from the club and wanted you to know that although I don't say it much, not a single day goes by when I don't love you and when I'm not eternally grateful for everything you do for me. I cannot, cannot wait for the holiday. I love you so much. 
What a, I'm not surprised you're a snotty mess because I'm nearly a snotty mess as well. Thank you so much for sharing that and thinking about what, what can come out of this, you know, and having to be away from your boy. So enjoy that holiday. It sounds like you're going to have a really, really great one. Can we talk a little bit about co-parenting? Because we've had a number of messages about this, Prathna. Um, we've had, let's, let's go to the text line. Um, uh, message is saying, how should a parent approach remarrying? Um, and we've also had a message here um, asking, saying, this is no name, saying, I'd welcome some advice on introducing my kids to my new partner. Been divorced two years, the kids are nine and five. So let's let's start with that, with introducing the concept of you moving on into another relationship. Um, are there any do's and don'ts, I suppose? Yes. So um, I think the general consensus um, is that we shouldn't be introducing anybody to kids um, before six months in your new relationship because we know that the first couple of months in a relationship is the honeymoon phase, right? And there's lots of love around. But if children are introduced to a new person, this can also be quite disconcerting for them and um, they can become quite upset by that. So you, if you are in a steady relationship, you're in a happy relationship, you see that relationship going somewhere and you've been, you, there's a solid foundation to that relationship. You can introduce that partner to your children, but you would never do it sort of in a one-on-one setting. That's really highly uncomfortable for children. You do it in a more neutral setting, in a more group setting. You can also, if possible, speak to your co-parent about the fact that you will be introducing this person. That feels like the respectful thing to do if that's if you're in a position to do that. Exactly. And you'd introduce this more as a friend, a close friend of yours, rather than, you know, bringing in a label like girlfriend, boyfriend. Cause that's and you can gonna... call her mummy now. No. <laughs> so important that message because that message we need to get across to children this person doesn't replace your mom or doesn't replace your dad and never will mm-hmm. so then they are clear on that that they're again there's not, not going to be loyalty conflicts there yeah. now i think blended families is a topic for a whole other show and i'd, I'd love to, to get to get you back to talk to you know to talk to that point but what about co-parenting now what are some of the common pitfalls you've seen families falling into so when you have to actually co-parent with this person where there's still a lot of trust issues, there's resentment, there's the grief, you have to move through that first and you have to work through that first. And when it comes to taking care of your needs, you've got to look after your mental health needs. So when we have to co-parent with somebody we've got all this history with, it's natural. We have this part of our brain, it's called the amygdala. And the amygdala is that part of the brain which is the fight or flight response. So it's, it's used to being maybe there's lots of conflict that's been happening and it's used to anything that that person says, they set you off. So it's, it's called the amygdala hijack. So literally that part of our brain gets hijacked and the, all the, the front part of our brain, which is responsible for thinking clearly, um, you know, rationalizing, empathizing with somebody, that kind of gets shut down. So we have to take the step back and we have to say, okay, I am not going to let this uh, amygdala hijack happen. I'm very (laughs) conscious about this. (laughs) Exactly. Mm -hmm. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to take the steps. I'm going to stop. I'm going to look. I'm going to listen to what feelings I'm experiencing. And I am going to take the higher road here. And I'm also going to, when I, in my communication with my co-parent, that's critical as well. Instead of it being about blame, instead of you did this and you should have done this, make it about yourself. I would appreciate if you would do this. And it would work well for me if we could do it this way so that it's not an attack all the time on that person. Pratna, I just want to squeeze in one last message from an anonymous listener saying, I'm in the middle of divorce from an abusive relationship with me and my kids. He got the better of me and my money as well. My kids are less than seven years old. What are some of the alarm signs I need to be aware of in my children and how can I make kids this small understand? 
I'm, I mean, I'm, I hope I'm not speaking up to, and I don't think kids this small should fully understand, um, especially if it's been a, a difficult, abusive relationship. But what are some of the signs that, you know, this could be really, really affecting the kids? And ultimately, I, I guess what I'm asking is when should you bring in someone to help you navigate that psychologically? So first of all, it does sound like it's been a very, very tough experience that um, the listener has gone through. And it will be important in all of this for her to um, hold that information and and not be sharing that information with with children because Mm -hmm. they wouldn't be able to actually take that. And, you know, it's almost akin to kind of speaking badly about that other person. So, again, it will take quite a bit of maturity, but I'm sure she'll be able to do that. Um, And she might notice, you know, because now maybe her her partner, her ex-partner is absent, so the children might be asking questions about where that person is and for her to to deal with that in a mature manner that okay well you know daddy's dealing with his own stuff or that he's made some choices and he's he's coping with that but I'm here with you and being present for the kids and I think really being open to listening to them because children will let you know when they need something and they'll start expressing so giving that time to actually sit down and say okay what 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 are you feeling right now and being attuned to that and they themselves will come forward with what what's going on but also to be mindful of the behaviors like if there's any regressive behaviors if there's any clinginess if you notice any changes that are concerning you know you will know as a parent okay there's something a bit more serious going on here. Prefacing, thank you so so much for your time today. Um, as I said, I think I'd love to come back to this to this topic in various forms as as we go through because we've had an awful lot of messages and I think a lot of people needing support in this topic. We just said off air. So a lot of very busy marriage counsellors and divorce lawyers right now in Dubai. So anything we can do to offer a bit of a helping hand and connect you with any expert, um, we're very much here for you. In the meantime, um, how can people get in touch with you at Viva Mus? They can contact our clinic. It's in Dubai Healthcare City. Um, there's a website as well that they can reach out to us on. We'd be happy to. And if you can't get those details right now, if you're driving or you're not able to pick up your phone, when you get the chance, send me a message. You can just say kids if you want, and I will send you Pratton's details. Thank you so, so much. Always an absolute pleasure. Half-term looming for many families around the UAE and lots of people booking trips for March, April, Eid and beyond. So we're bringing in the expert this afternoon to talk family travel. Joining us live in studio is Jason John from Woven Travel. Can I ask you that question, Jay? What's been the best? You've got an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. What's been the kind of the big hit since, uh, since having kids? As a parent... I think the Maldives for the adults was fantastic. <laughs> Shock, shocker. <laughs> um, because it really, I think that's maybe the first time since we've had kids where we felt like we actually had a holiday. Um, and that's thanks to things like Kids Club and wonderful staff. The kids, I just asked them this recently, their top uh, trips were Kenya. Wow. They loved being on safari, being outside, just felt like adventures, and uh, grandma's house. <laughs> oh, how cute. Do you know what? My kids would probably say England as well, because mm-hmm. I think that there's that family connection. But we've had, we had an amazing time in Croatia, mm-hmm. um, because it's interesting you talk there about parents having a bit of a break as well, because I think a lot of parents would understand that sometimes holiday is not really a holiday. Sometimes it's just a change of scene exactly. with the same <laughs> and sometimes with less help and more stuff. Yes. Um, but Croatia was amazing. It was one of the hotels we stayed in was really billed as being family friendly rather than just kid friendly, mm-hmm. by which they did. They had kids club from three months. They had scooters all over the property. There were trampolines built into the landscape. You know, it was it was a big net for climbing on and reception. You know, it was yeah. very family focused and they had, you know, ramps everywhere for strollers and, mm-hmm. and it's these kind of things that make you go oh, actually I feel like I can relax in 
in this setting, For if sure. you know what I mean. I'm good. I'm going to ask the kids tonight, though. Mm-hmm. I always remember we went to the Maldives really fortunate a few years ago. And I said at the end of the trip, like we normally do, oh, what, you know, what have been your highlights? And my five-year-old said, not even joking, she went, picking where to sit at breakfast. It's <laughs> like, oh, well, we, we, we could have done that in Dubai. Yeah. But it, I think it was just proof that you don't necessarily, you know, maybe we overlook some, yes. some of the things that are important to our kids. Exactly. Do you feel like there are some destinations that are intrinsically more kid-friendly than others, Jay? I, I kind of, um, I mean, I feel pretty strongly that kids should go almost anywhere um, and that kids exist everywhere in the world. And so there's a way to make every place family friendly. Mm -hmm. Um, But certainly, I think it depends too on where you're from. I mean, if we're living in Dubai, we're used to being in a big city. So big cities aren't so intimidating to us to visit. Whereas if you're from a more rural place, and you're used to letting the kids run free, then that might be challenging. So I think it really depends on your own personal comfort level. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And what about preparing kids before you go and involving them in the plans and there's been successful for you and clients at Woven? I one of my favorite parts of travel is actually preparing the kids before we go. Um, I used to be a teacher back before this expat life. So that's kind of innate to me is like, how can we make this a, so a what learning do you experience? Do? Well, I love, um, you know, like I, I don't open it up fully for input the whole time because <laughs> sometimes you just want to make the decision. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but we keep a scratch map um, on the wall and we've scratched off where we go. So when we book a new trip, we often are looking at the map and saying, can you find this country? That's where we're going to go next. And what is it close by? Have we been to this area before? What might we see there if we're going to that area again? Um, And then uh, finding books. We're big readers in our family. So um, finding either nonfiction or fiction books, movies, that kind of thing, and really finding a way to like pull it into the travel as well. Yeah. What about, what about food and dining? I love, um, I mean, kids are notoriously tricky (laughs) I'm living through Um, it right now yes with travel and eating but I love uh, taking a look at you know like what are some of the foods that we might find in this country and then having them help me make a list of the things that we want to seek out and try maybe that all that's on that list is gelato in Italy but it's still some way of bringing them in and getting them excited for something that they're going to see or or taste you give me some really good ideas Mm -hmm. thank you for that um during the trip um, anything that you've found to be successful for, I guess, kind of keeping up that energy level, keeping kids excited. And, you know, days can be long when you're out, especially if it is, you know, hiking or a city break. And, you know, I'm guessing avoid the whinge factor. <laughs> I I have had great success taking scooters with us for my kids, especially on um, a city break. We took them to Baku. And, you know, that stopped the whining of having to walk for long stretches. They were happy to scoot on ahead. So if you're, especially if you're going to a place that's, you know, known for having a promenade or something like that, I would pack those if you can. Um, And then I love doing scavenger hunts. And this is just, I mean, I don't really prepare it in advance. It's just off the top of my head. But um, (laughs) Please come with me on holiday, (laughs) Jay. But sometimes it's something simple like, you know, let's find the country flag. Can we see what it says on the stop sign? Does it say stop or do they have another word there? Uh, My kids love cats. And so oftentimes it's like, how many cats are we going to spot today? So just finding like little ways to to pull them in and make them maybe pay a bit more attention to the surroundings versus what's actually going on. Trudging along behind you. (laughs) Uh, Jason John is in the studio with us today from Woven Travel Company. 
We're talking travel. Jason John is with us from Woven in the studio. She puts together custom trips, does the research for you and is on hand to help us this afternoon. Um, Dee's been in touch saying, sorry if this is a stupid question, but we're taking the toddler to Cyprus next week. Do we need to take our own nappies and swim nappies? Um, Jay, I'm really sorry. I'm just going to say this. I'm so happy to be out of the nappy stage. Me too. <laughs> oh. And also the the formula bottle yes. washing phase. Yeah. Oh, my days. Um, now, we were just talking off air about some of the places we went to when our kids were that kind of that age. And we went to Bali, actually, when ours were kind of in nappy and bottle stage. And we did end up taking pretty much half a suitcase of nappies because you just don't know. So I guess it's going to depend, Joe, on where exactly they're going and what the, what the shop situation is going to be. How do you work and prepare for that kind of age group? I always I always pack or used to pack at least, I mean, minimum 24 hours worth, um, plus whatever you're going to have on the plane with you for travel. But ideally, I would say 48 hours of nappies, whatever you need for the baby for that time. So it gives you time when you've landed that you're not, you know, scrambling around looking through mm. for places to, to buy anything. Swim nappies, I would say, take with you because that's not always common in other places. It's kind of like a luxury yeah. item. Yeah, you can get some really good reusable ones as well. Yeah, for sure. That's what, yeah. that, that was a bit of a game changer for us. Um, this is my other tip for you is make sure you've got enough nappies for when you get home because we had that once we got back and I'd basically portioned out the nappies for the plane home and everything we needed and I got back to Dubai and went, we had no nappies in the house none so think think about your future self Dee think about your future self um, and Rosalind's saying hi both we're looking to travel end of March um, approximately 7 to 10 days with 3 small children we're looking for somewhere warm no more a 4 hour flight recommendations would be appreciated where would you go if you were Rosalind I think if I were Rosalind, I would head to Sri Lanka. It's a relatively short flight. You've got a good chunk of time, um, and that would you know allow you to travel around Sri Lanka a little bit. There's so much to see there, so you know you could definitely stretch your time while there. And they need the tourism as well, I for sure. You're saying earlier about you know some places being not so really more family friendly than others, but you know as you say, everywhere has children. We went to Sri Lanka when my daughter was one and stayed at quite frankly the least family friendly hotel I think I just got seduced by photos on TripAdvisor and was like oh that's pretty and then when we got there it was just all glass and rocks and steps and sharp edges and I spent the whole time being like oh we're gonna have to go to hospital on a tuk-tuk um, but there are some really really fantastic um, family resorts I would just say for little little ones check um tides and currents and just how family friendly some beaches are because the yeah. the water can be quite serious. I think too, you know, finding a place with a pool. Pools are always nice to have. Um, sand and beach is a lot of work. So. Message here saying, coming back to Cyprus, Cyprus is very child friendly. You can find diapers really easily at kiosk supermarkets, but next week will be cold. Thank you. Mm. It's funny, I, was, I just kind of think about Cyprus being like a summer destination. Yeah. But it's interesting to think about it kind of, I guess, so kind of so-called off, off season. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's talk other tips and tricks. What, okay. when, um, what do you, I mean, we're, my kids and I will just sit and watch TV for, on, on the plane quite happily. But what have been some kind of game changing bits of kit or hacks when it comes to making those journeys as smooth as possible? I say you can never have enough snacks. Yes. <laughs> I, I, all rules are, yes. do not apply to us. I'm like, yeah, eat it. I don't care. Yeah, it's for a finite amount of time. Especially if you have a little, a little one, having you know, kind of like a bento box situation where you can have lots of little compartments with little kind of snacks. You know, picking up those Cheerios. Mm-hmm. You know, so it lasts a little bit longer. So that's great. I think also. Um, 
having you know some simple things like sticky notes they're great for you know kids love to just pull them apart and stick them all over and it's very easy to just pull them off mm-hmm. the same with those you know little plasto- plastic plastic um, sticker decal- decals that you might put on windows bring that with you for the airplane window and wall um, the kids can decorate that extra clothes Extra clothes, always extra clothes, and not just for the child, for you as well. Yes, you will. Those, you not will, but you could get puked on. Well, <laughs> but even with that, I find those meal trays, you have such little space, and all it takes is one little foot mm-hmm. <laughs> to kick that, um, that drink or whatever off of your tray, and then you will sit in wet clothes for the entire flight. Rajani, love this message saying we've done many countries with our daughter, 22 in total, and she's six. We include her in every step of the travel and let her make mini decisions. We discuss the country, the city we're traveling to. So she's aware and she generally packs a small bag that includes lots of small, engaging toys, books, puzzles, especially good for long drives during the journey where she keeps herself involved. We've also got family games. Rajani, tell me the family games. Quizzes to keep her motivated and engaged. And it's a good way to learn about the country or city. Rajani, you should be in the travel business. You sound absolutely (laughs) fantastic. Um, and I guess I wanted to kind of finish by, well, not finish. Well, I'm going to keep you a bit longer, actually, if that's all right. I'm going to move, mm-hmm. We're moving a song for you because I, I feel like there's some, some much needed information here. Jet lag. Jet lag. Oh, it's like the Shivers stuff down of the nightmares uh-huh. for a parent. Is anything, have you found anything to be particularly useful or is it just a case of gritting your teeth and grinding it out? I mean, there's definitely going to be gritting your teeth. I think, I mean, you can only do so much. You can't force someone to sleep. But I would say when, you know, a child wakes up, you just have to keep it dark mm-hmm. and, you know, try not to do things as tempting as it is, is to like pull on, pull out the iPads or turn the television on. Try to keep that stuff to a minimum. Um, keep it dark. Read some books. Do some quiet activities. Give yourself, you know, a half an hour, 45 minutes and then say, all right, let's get back to bed now. Um, Try not to make it too exciting for them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it is an inevitable part, I think, a lot of the time. We've done lots of like, oh, here we are in a city centre looking for a park at 6am. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Just trying to just trying to stay sane. Um, And I think the the rule seems to be like half an hour adjustment for every day. Yeah. I mean... Whether there's any truth in that, I do not know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not advocating the use of antihistamines in children. I'm just saying sometimes it can. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> what about um, when you get back, kind of keeping some of those memories alive? My mum was a massive, massive I'll say advocate. She basically forced us to write a diary when we went on holiday. Mm-hmm. So we'd bring like a, a notebook and we'd stick in the tickets that we had and some currency and write what we did um and i'd love to get the kids into that Is yeah that something that's that you've lovely done? i think um we always let our kids they you know kids just generally love knickknacks and we always give them a little bit of pocket money and put a budget on it and say, like, this is this is what you get for this trip. So make sure you're picking something great. Mm-hmm. And that means that in their bedrooms, they have, you know, little shelves with all of these kind of things on them, like a little tuk-tuk from Sri Lanka or, you know, and, and that really brings it back. They remember exactly where they buy those toys or things. Um, we also, I let my daughter, she has this... Um, it's not a Polaroid, but it's maybe similar to that. Um, so she takes photos and brings her camera along with her, and then she'll print some off. 
we like to, um, especially if we've traveled a little bit in the school year, let them print off a couple photos to take to their school to show their friends. Oh, my kids are obsessed with this. Mm-hmm. Like, can you please? Can you please send that to my teacher? Can you put that on seesaw yes, for my teacher? Like, exactly. Like, like it doesn't exist until yeah. it's been acknowledged in the <laughs> exactly. classroom. Oh, Jay, thank. We've run out of time. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for that. I feel like we've only kind of scratched the surface. But for anyone who does want to get in touch with you, find out more about some of the ways you can help people um, mm-hmm. logistically, emotionally. Yes. Um, through this, what's the best way of getting in touch? Uh, WovenTravel.co on Instagram, Facebook or my website and what some of the what are some of the requests you're getting at the minute what are you working on for some clients I think a lot of people now are are looking at spring break looking at summertime and a lot of people are struggling with the skyrocketing prices mm-hmm. and wondering where can I get um, more bang for the buck bit, yeah cheaper Thank you so much. Thank really you. do appreciate it. Um, if you do have any uh, any need for some help, drop me a little message. You can say the word travel on 4001 and I will send you Jay's details. We all know that the UAE is a very popular backdrop to many a big blockbuster movie from Hollywood to Bollywood, but it does tend to be in the cities that get the most attention. But the spotlight now is on beautiful Fajera, where a brand new movie is being made right now by female filmmakers. Joining us now is the producer and screenwriter of this movie, it's the CEO of Desert Rose Films, Nancy Payton with us. And I know you're filming right now, Nancy. Thank you for making time. How are you? Hi, Helen. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, we are in uh, beautiful Dibba Fajera in the mountains filming, and I've just nipped out of the set. Um, How <laughs> so, exciting! Yes, a- How exciting! I want to be hearing about the about the movie because I hear it's an adaptation of a children's book. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Um, yeah, we. Uh, so I'm going to might cut out connections because where we are, we are actually um, <laughs> in the mountains. So there is a little bit of. Uh, uh, bad connection. But yes, we are, um, it's Mountain Boy. It's based on a book series, um, a trilogy that was written by an Emirati author, um, Michelle Jalowski, about a boy uh, uh, from the Fajera Mountains. Um, and so when it was uh, during the Special Olympics period, I was um, with my son at preschool at a book reading, and it was of this book. Mm-hmm. And um, all the kids in the room put their hands on their ears. And um, the mums all had a little tear in their eye. And uh, I was like, I got to get to know this author and I got to make this movie. So I was, um, uh, it was just a children's book, but it made such an impact on all the people that heard it that I was like, this movie, this movie needs to be made. Um, so four years later, I'm finally making it. <laughs> wow. So it's the, the trilogy was called The Boy Who Knew the Mountains. And what is that going to be the name of the film, Nancy? Uh, no, the the movie was called Mountain Boy to keep it short and sweet. And of course, there have been some changes to the book series to make it, uh, you know, more cinematic and um, have more of a, you know, impact for adults mm-hmm. as well, not just for children to make it uh, a family. It is a family adventure uh, film. So, we've, uh, you know, we're kind of, uh, our audience is a family. Um, so we need to change the title slightly. Tell us a little bit about Sahail, um, this this young boy that the film and the book centers on what do you think makes his story so unique i um you know he is a boy with autism um and i guess that uh you know has it's uh he has superpowers um because uh being a person of determination he sees and looks at the world very differently to the way uh, us neurotypical people uh, see the world and i think that's what made all the kids in that book uh reading 
uh, be affected. They actually understood what he was feeling, his sensitivity to nature, to the, his surroundings, um, to people, to animals. Um, and I guess that's why he's such an important character in today's world for us to kind of see the world in a, in a different perspective through someone's different eyes um, and to look at nature once again. And I think that's what I'm hoping the book will, uh, the film will make us do. Now, it seems to be tackling a bit of, I guess, lack of understanding around autism and some of the differences that um, that Sahail experiences. How on earth do you begin to cast um, someone young in a role that requires so much emotional intelligence? So, I mean, when we talked about it with Michelle, and this is going back four years ago, she originally wanted to be an animation um, and for me, I was like, no, this is just way more powerful um, than an animation. And I'd really love to have a boy with autism play the part. That was my main goal from the start. And it takes a lot of uh, persuasion to get people to invest in a film with, you know, that is trying to be inclusive, that is being inclusive because of that there is, uh, you know, risk involved with that. Um, and luckily enough, I was able to find an um, Emirati boy from Abu Dhabi uh, with, who is uh, with autism to play the part of Sahail. Mm-hmm. And he has been phenomenal. I mean, we are on day 22 right now of shooting. Um, and we had a stand-in, you know, we've done everything correctly to make sure uh, the boys treated, uh, you know, the way that we've had support on site for him. We have, you know, um, the lovely Rising Sun is the school here in Fajera that they bring a person on set that is with him all, every day, like a, a behavioral psychologist to help the boy. We have ambulances. We have the crews being amazing um, to actually, remi- you know, reminds us, uh, you know, to be uh, mindful of him and mm-hmm. his needs. And so we've had to tailor the story. And, and also our filmmaking process is different because we are working um, with someone with determination. And actually, you know, it, it, at the beginning, it's a little bit scary, but now we're in a rhythm. We, we know our limitations. We know what we can do. We know what we can't do with him. And um, and it's actually uh, it's proving that you can be an inclusive in a film uh, in the film industry um, on a film set. Absolutely. And it must be a real education for you, as you say, on inclusivity, but also, I guess, some of the opportunities that can arise from working with someone who might have a completely different viewpoint from from you on how things can can be done. So it must be an interesting creative process as well. Um, I wanted to also ask you, um, Nancy, a little bit about the subject of climate change, which I understand plays a role in both the books and, and the movie. How are you looking to address that? Uh, for me, I mean, that was where, you know, I guess from the beginning, living in the UAE and being so aware of climate change and all the initiatives that go on here, which are fantastic. I mean, I've tried to highlight that quite a lot mm. in the screen, screenwriting um, and to make us look at nature. And as you said earlier, the UAE is such a beautiful dro- backdrop, but sadly, the, the, the variety of the backdrop is always missed. And, you know, we've had waterfalls, we've had rain, we've had mountains and uh, wadis and sand and like the, you know, and the sea on Fajera is very different to the sea. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the the, uh, the sea in Abu Dhabi. So, like the variety of nature within the UAE has allowed uh, the film to highlight the importance of nature and climate. You know, and us to look at it and to be serious about climate change and making making sure we don't lose all this beauty that we are surrounded with. Um, yeah. Well, I can't wait to see it. I, I think the world needs to be, you know, really understanding of just how lucky we are to have some of this beautiful nature around us and also to hear this story. And before I let you go, I wondered if you were able to tell us a little bit more about Desert Rose, because you are 
you know, really there giving a voice to women in the region in, in front of and un, behind the camera. And I wonder if you had any advice for anyone that might want to follow in your footsteps or indeed collaborate with you. Uh, I mean, we, you know, even with this project, I'm doing a boy, it's called Mountain Boy. And I was like, funny, you're, you're all pro-women. It's not just about women. It's mm-hmm. about, I mean, my whole thing is, you know, to be inclusive and to give people the opportunities because sometimes they don't get them due to, you know, being a person with determination or being a woman still to this day. It's really hard to get that break. It's really hard to, you know, to people to believe that you can do it. And we have... I mean, I've got my person leading special effects is a woman where we've been doing sandstorms and rainstorms and, and it's been phenomenal with massive VA trucks and telehandlers and, you know, and, and that's a woman doing that job, not just a man, which is typically done. Uh, you know, our director, I was very adamant about having a female local director, um, even though, you know, it's, it's not so easy to find and they haven't had the opportunities. So to tell this story, it was really important. Um, and I guess it, it comes from, I'm lucky to be the CEO. I'm lucky to be able to make those decisions where I can pick a woman. I can. Um, and I guess it's important for other companies to be like, do I really need to hire this person? Can I hire, you know, would another person from a different background or, or even different background and not even just women, different, their viewpoint, will it tell the story better? Um, and in the end, it's, uh, you know, we are a very, multi- my crew is multicultural. Uh, we're international, but local. We're uh, very equal women and man split. Um, as I said, we're being inclusive as well with uh, people of determination. Uh, and I think it makes the story better. I mean, the, the actual the product that we're creating, the film, is more powerful because of all the differences within our, um, you know, and be- because of the equality that we're trying to create within the team. So um, well I guess... Yeah, I don't know what to say about, you know, getting into the industry. No, I think it's just uh, about, you know, about trying and seeing and, you know, being part of something that is very much here in the UAE and you are such an integral part of that. So thank you for all the work that you do and thank you for sparing the time today when you are busy on set. Um, With with horses and dogs and and it's a little bit of an intense set today. So uh, I wish I could show you what was going on. Well, if anyone does want to have a nosy, you can check out the Instagram. It's the boy who who knew the mountains and... And we're hoping to have the premiere next year's uh, UN Climate Change uh, Conference, COP28, which will be hosted here in the UAE. Nancy, thank you so, so much for your time. All the very best to the cast and crew. Get back to hard work and can't wait to see the fruits of your labour. Huge congratulations in advance. Nancy Patton speaking to us from Desert Rose. Sounds brilliant. Mountain Boy hoping to premiere next year um, at COP28. This is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan. Groundbreaking science, life-changing nutrition. It is a feline special today. We are feline good um, because joining us from the cat vet is Dr. Raimundo. We're going to be putting our questions to him. Don't forget any message you send in, a question, a story, a photo, or indeed this. I want to know which celebrity does your pet remind you of? So let me know. This will put you in the draw to win a massive hamper from Prina Proplan. My Cocker Spaniel Jarvis, I think, is like the dog version of Colin Farrell. I have put a photo on Instagram stories. I also think you probably would have an Irish accent. Let me know. Extra points for a photo. Dr. Raimundo, who comes to mind? What pets do you have and do they remind you of any celebrities? Mm, hi. Uh, hi. Thanks for having me. I'm very happy to be back. Um, uh, and, and yeah, that's a great, great question. Uh, I'm gonna, you know, you can ponder it if you yes. want. Yes, you say I say it's great to be back. You've not just been in the clinic; you've rode 
the Atlantic since we last spoke. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm still recovering. Uh, Huge congratulations. Still adapting. Thank you very much. What an achievement. How many days were you at sea? 42 days, 7 <gasps> hours, 35 minutes and 12 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> and felt every single one. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And now I'm going to be seeing you later in the week for a proper, a proper debrief. But now I want to know what was the highlight and what was the low light? The sea was the highlight, um, the waves, the color, the changes, the waves, the excitement, everything that, that comes, it's, it's, it's overwhelming. Um, the hardest thing was the night shift, uh, cold, uh, wet, uh, tired, never ending. Oh. You're back now in the, in, the, in the sweet comfort of Dubai. It's lovely to have you back and straight yeah, back into you. work, I'm sure. It's yeah. At the cat fact. What's coming into clinic? What's keeping you busy? Um, a little bit. We, we've been, think, uh, yeah, we've been very busy. Uh, a little bit of everything. It's the, I'm starting uh, with, uh, with uh, routine vaccinations, but we've been uh, very challenging cases. Second opinions, which is uh, uh, very good, and we've been able to, to help on that front. Um, yeah, very excited uh, to, to, to be back. Well, you're not going to get a rest here this hour, Ray. We've got no, lots no. and lots of questions for you. Um, lots of questions about pet health and behaviour. Um, you're more than welcome to give us a call, by the way, 04871 We've got our headphones on. Um, and first up is Aziz. My cat meows at four in the morning, almost every morning, wakes me up. Not sure really what to do about it. Tried feeding him a bit at night. A bit extra at night, but yeah, looking for uh, some solutions or advice. He sounds a bit tired. (laughs) (laughs) This is a tricky one. Yeah, yeah, um, cats like humans, they have the the biological watch. Clock is is amazing. They have circadian rhythms like we do. Exactly. They know exactly when it's four o'clock, six o'clock, when it should. And and it's about habit, okay? Okay. if we try to keep them busy the night before and uh, and extend or a little bit more the play and the f- feeding, uh, did, w- he might be able to move a little bit forward. Also, it's about habits. Mm-hmm. If he does get up at uh, four o'clock, uh, then the cat knows will uh, will know that. Yeah, well, well, it's a bit like a kid. Like I, I yeah. for a long time I had my kids waking up at five and they'd be like, "Mom," and I'd be like, "Okay, listen, just go and watch TV." Happy days. They were delighted to be watching TV at five o'clock in the morning when i stopped making it so fun when i had the willpower to stop doing that so it, it, could they be getting uh, a bit of attention exactly, at four o'clock in the exactly. They, so they, they 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 if they know if they get used to to this uh, uh timings um of course they they will know they know their their master their friend or um will be able to get up and feed them or play with them or open the door or whatever it's about like i said adjusting those timings try to the, the night before keep them busy active uh, so that they you can extend a little bit more feeding uh, as i said um living even outside some other toys that can uh, work uh, on on their own uh, and uh, interact with them but yeah it's about habit and being determined about that yes this is it's just it's just like parenting Aziz, keep us posted yeah. on this we've got dr ray joining us from the cat vet this is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan. 
bit of a cat special this afternoon. We've got the cat man himself, Dr. Raimundo from the Cat Vet, there on Hesse Street, joining us live until five to answer my questions, but honestly, most importantly, yours. You're more than welcome to give us a call, by the way, zero four eight seven one double five double zero. And this is Lisa. I have a kitten that I found at a park. Of course, it's a homeless cat, but uh, it looks like it's injured. It has sores on its mouth and on its tongue, and its tongue is white. And I've noticed it's getting thinner, and so I've taken it home, and I'm wanting to figure out what I can do to care for it. Any advice to Lisa there? You don't seem surprised by this. Is this quite a common condition? Yeah, yeah. unfortunately, this is something that uh, very often happens in, in, in stray cats, kittens, uh, to be more precise. Um, they tend to have these mouth infections. They are secondary bacterial infections to first viral uh, infections uh, that, uh, that develop and can become so aggressive that they affect the tongue, the gums, the eventually the bone, and then teeth can fall off. Uh, it's very, very painful. The, the smell is very, very bad, and they need uh, in, uh, intensive care. I've seen cats that have lost even the, some of the, the, the cheeks, okay, uh, and then they will need uh, other uh, surgeries. Um, it is, it is very, it's very urgent that they, she comes and, and, and takes to, to, to a vet because this will, will just get worse. It, it will need uh, a good cleaning it will uh, need antibiotics probably and uh, and uh, special care they basically they can't eat because they are so it's much impa- yeah, exactly poor little soul okay lisa i hope that helps it gets to urgent the yeah um i wanted to ask this question this is from nadia and i think it's a really good one because it touches on behavior which i know you're interested in saying how can we determine if our cats are playing or fighting and should we intervene? I think you'd be very brave to intervene if they really are going for it. Yeah, it's um, it would be important to know the the age. Okay, uh, kittens and uh, young cats they tend to 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 try and to express uh, uh, their um, uh, natural uh, yeah their, their instincts e- instincts exactly, and uh, they want to 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 play, and that is more obvious at that age. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, it's important to know uh, the, the, how physically they are showing what they are doing, the possession of the ears, the sounds that they can uh, is the hissing or just chilled uh, if the ears are down or up if the tail the position if the body the body the way the body is reacting is also uh, important to determine that um, they should know at some point uh, when to 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 stop if they are playing or you need at that point to redirect uh, the attention or the, that energy and that is with toys with something else to distract them okay and uh, again like I said it's it's important to see the body how how it, it it's doing if it's an adult cat then it will be a bit more complicated I've had so many messages for you this afternoon. A lot of people are getting in touch with questions, stories, lots of photos as well. As he's saying, um, Bronnie, the Yorkie, looks like Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> <laughs> now, I was there at the Literature Festival over the weekend and it was so lovely to meet so many people, some amazing authors and some listeners as well. And I met the most 
intelligent, lovely little animal lover, Natalie, who came over and said hello. She'd just been to see uh, David Williams. And she said she wanted to get in touch with you, Ray, to ask about her little kitten, Loki, who is from the street, saying he's been having a high fever and the doctor says he's got something called mycoplasma. Yes. I say like that. I don't know what it is. You obviously do. Will it be okay? He's only about 12 weeks. And um, could Natalie have it because he's been sleeping in her bed before he got sick? No. uh, So this mycoplasma, there are different types of of this agent. Um, uh, If it's something that, uh, if it's mycoplasma hemophilus, might affect the blood and uh, there's something that, might have been in contact with other cats okay usually these are things that get, or at this age or they come from their mother or they've come because they've been outside okay mm-hmm. um there's different t- treatments for different types of mycoplasma okay uh but uh, uh with a good treatment and good care they should be should be should be okay but uh and any yeah. threat to humans from this is it contagious no, no, in no, any no, way no 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 that's that's why uh Cats and dogs are our best friends. They usually have their own uh, conditions, apart from some uh, skin uh, fungal Bit infections. Of yeah, stuff. yeah, exactly. Some otherwise, otherwise, they, they, there's nothing to 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 worry about. Just need to look look after little Loki, Natalie, and thank you again for coming over. It was really, really lovely to meet you and the family. Um, quick message: We're going to squeeze in before the headlines. Um, a message here saying, "What should I do with my cat? She's on heat." And then three cat emojis, looking horrified. Yeah. Uh, Patients. <laughs> when, when do cats come into heat normally? They, it's 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 uh, it's not uh, as dogs, uh, so they can be the spontaneous can trigger. Very often, uh, it can be affected by presence with other cats. Uh, the time, the light, uh, everything. The light. Yeah, exactly, exactly. What? During the, the 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 periods of the the year, they the, the longer the days, they more they they get uh, they get. So that's why they go more out. And they get more uh, active. active. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, beyond heat can be like I was mentioning uh, every week, uh, every mm. month, every. Is, every, it, is so, it quite distressing for a cat to go through that? Yes, as it is for the owner and for the neighbours and mm-hmm. for the family because the noises they can uh, even even uh, destroy the furniture. They can be more intense they will be more vocal um, they will need uh, more attention so what I say is to it, it would be important to, to have her spayed uh, How long do you need to wait after being in heat before you can go into surgery? <sighs> Sorry No it's uh, it, it, sometimes or very often we, we, we can even do while they are in heat it's okay. not like dogs that there's bigger there are a slight increase of uh, uh, risks because the vessels uh, and the, the tissues are a bit more uh, delicate, okay? But uh, if it's something urgent, can be done uh, immediately. Ideally, yes, wait a few days, a uh, week uh, to, to, to reduce the size and, uh, and then go ahead. You're listening to Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan where the number one ingredient is always high-quality salmon, lamb, turkey and chicken. I want to know, does your pet remind you of a celebrity? <laughs> Message here saying, we've got, uh, we've got bingo, but she could be Marilyn Monroe. Um, let me know on the text line or indeed the phone line. Uh, here's Christy. My cat's name is Ginny and she looks just like uh, Naomi Campbell, or behaves like her rather. She's incredibly beautiful. She's a stunning Bengal, but she's got quite the attitude on her. And she's been known to throw my phone at various <laughs> objects, especially myself around the house. 
and she's a total diva. <laughs> so it's Naomi Campbell, aka Ginny. What about you? We've got Dr. Raymundo with us this afternoon. He's at the Cat Vet on Hester Street, here to answer my questions, but honestly, most importantly, yours, and lots of them coming in on 4001. Message here saying, any tips for easing the stress of moving uh, the day of and after in a new home? Now, this is a really good question because a lot of families go through this, and we want to be reducing the stress as, as much as possible. And this is something you're really focused on, the Cat Vet, and making that environment of the clinic yeah. you know, really as calm as possible for our pets. But yeah. these changes are inevitable, whether it is you know, not going in the car, moving house, us putting them to boarding, for example. But with that house moving example in particular, Ray, anything that can be really helpful? Everything. Uh, it, it, it's something that it definitely needs to be very well planned. Um, what I uh, recommend is to um, keep them away of the new people, changes, uh, invade, invading their, their space. Another thing is to keep as much as possible uh, objects like the carrier, the blanket, uh, the, the, the bowls for the, the, the food um, and everything that they can keep and quickly move to the new house so that they can... Um, You've got some be- kind of consistency. Exactly. Okay. Another thing, small tip, it's to rub uh, um, a small towel or a blanket around the face, the hair, and then go around the area, the closest area uh, where they stay. And it's important in the first uh, few days to keep them in a small space so that they can feel comfortable, they can feel safe, and rub the, that, that towel so that their uh, pheromones are already around the space before they arrive. So kind okay? of create an environment of familiarity. Exactly. So, okay. And suddenly, and, and slowly, they get used to the noises and the new, even the, the, the lights and, the, and the, the, the new sounds. But yes, take them before and after. Take some time to isolate them from anything that is unusual. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, as I mentioned, people and noises, it's trying to keep them as, as, as relaxed as possible. Good luck there with are, the move. Sorry to yeah, mention, me. uh, the, there are some uh, some medication coming natural uh, that can be given a few days before uh, uh, and a few days after to ease that anxiety and that uh, that uh, minor stress. Okay, uh, it's no no sedation. It's not not a sedative or anything. Nothing Just strong. Calming. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay. All the best. Really hope that helps. Um, Lenka has been in touch, Ray, saying, my three-year-old boy, Percy, is over-grooming. He's licked off all the fur around his tail. He was operated on 18 months ago in that area because of an abscess, but he is a nervy character anyway. I think the vet does need to take a look, but he hasn't got any noticeable skin irritation. Could it be stress? Um, it, 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 is, it can be stress. It can be... Uh, sometimes they have compression of nerves uh, that are not... It, it doesn't create pain, but uh, it creates numbness or some form of irritation. And that would be one way of, uh, uh, of uh, making them uh, um, upset with that. Another thing, anal glands, uh, some form of constipation, parasites, uh, allergies, even urinary issues. It would be important to have a, 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 a proper exam. Start, start ruling yeah, some yeah, yeah. things yeah, out. Yeah, All right, Lanka, yeah, off yeah. to the vet you go. I love this message. Um, Coops, thank you for this. Coops says, I am fascinated by the body language of our two cats who are six months old. I understand cats communicate with each other using body language and rarely use their voice between themselves. With humans, however, cats have learned that we're basically stupid and can't read their body language, <laughs> so they do more purring and mewling to us. Unfortunately, we can't understand that. This morning, my girl 
cat was following me around, purring, doing forceful head bumps on my hand, which I interpret as her wanting affection. So I was stroking her, but she kept on and on saying, no human, do something else. So I threw some toys around, which she wasn't interested in. My point is, I literally have no idea what my cats are trying to say. I'm starting to feel inadequate. Any words of wisdom or is there a good resource I can read? Yeah, yeah, that's several books. Uh, That's uh, one that I'm uh, reading at the moment. What's going through my cat's mind, uh, uh, and uh, and that's these are all you can easily find. They are very usually very simple. They have uh, uh, images uh, of uh, how they can, especially with the body language, how they can uh, uh, try to communicate. But uh, especially some young ones. She, uh, as I mentioned before, she's probably trying to to mark and uh, leave some pheromones uh, uh, on the owner. Getting uh, affection and uh, for some cats it's never enough. And they they can spend the whole day. That's why they go and mark in several places around the house when they are really feeling uh, happy. They don't want to play. They just want to uh, uh, cuddles and and mark the 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 the, the owner. Um, what did you make of that Netflix show Inside the Mind of a Cat? It's amazing. It's Is amazing. It? And I, I and it's it's great. I I think for cat owners to create some awareness that. There's more uh, that they can uh, uh, connect. There's more ways to connect and to interact with the cats and make them uh, happy in uh, in, a, in, the, in their environment. These cat-friendly houses are uh, finally becoming more trendy, and uh, and the, the shelves, uh, um, different uh, toys, different uh, times of it's of, of interactions. Uh, the way uh, the, the feeding, everything they, they they can do do amazing things. Even even recognize the voice of uh, of their owners and and come to to them. So there's a lot to be to be done. But a cat is a cat, and uh, <laughs> they are individuals. Um, you need to understand understand them. Be patient. Uh, uh, wait for their own agenda and uh, and let them come to you. Their uh, own agenda, yeah, yeah, never yeah, yeah. a truer word spoken. We yeah. can squeeze in one last question. This is from Winnie saying, Hi both, my cat seems to work out all the puzzles we've bought in minutes. Would love some ideas for mentally stimulating my little Einstein. Oh. <laughs> That's great, huh? Uh, some can be really uh, inquisitive and smart uh, and uh, the smarter they are, the more frustrated they, they, they become if they they don't have uh, they are not stimulated enough um there's uh, feeding toys uh for instance uh that you can um place inside of uh and and hide it uh, around the house ah, double challenge yeah 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 so they can need to uh, hunt and chase and and so that they can eat okay um the feeding toys um yeah uh, I, I know that she's been trying but uh but uh they are great um get some like i uh, mentioned also before uh, shelves uh some, some heights and things. yeah exactly they love to be uh in control and a safe place and the way that that happens is in a, a higher place um Consider if is such a uh, curious cat, the presence of another cat might be might be good. Okay, uh, mm. consider fostering. Uh, think a young kitten might keep. Uh, keep uh, yes, exactly. We've run out of time. And we you would run... rescue another cat. Exactly. Thank you for that. Thank you, Ray, as well. It's been a pleasure Thank you having you with us. We've, we've 
we've run out of time, but we've still got lots of questions. We'll definitely have you back for more Thank for more you. cat chat. In the meantime, though, you can be found at the Cat Vet. It's on Hester Street. It's across social media. Um, amazing team there, and as I said, very much focused on the well-being, um, the mental health, and of course the health of your pet too. Dr. Raimundo, speak to you very soon. Um, loving all of your messages, loving your photos. I've been sent a picture of Roxy, who um, <laughs> apparently looks like George Clooney. So actually, sorry, Roxy is the human. The dog is called Steve. The celebrity is George Clooney. Very handsome indeed. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.